certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. It's been revealed the grieving parents of Kira Glennon were also given a lock of her hair just days before what would have been her 28th birthday. Hi everyone, this is day 41 of Claremont in Conversation. Natalie Bongiolo joining you in the studio with Tim and Alison. So today we heard the details about a detective's act of compassion towards the Glennons. Yes, we did, Nat. Um, We'd heard something very similar that um, occurred with Jane um, the previous year. Um, That one sounded a little bit more off the cuff. Um, This one was actually um, documented and um, uh, obviously planned a little bit. Um, so just a little recap we know that um, during Kira's post-mortem her entire hair mass her head hair was taken from the body placed in what's been described as a billy bucket a plastic bucket with a lid on it and stored for investigative purposes uh, there you know currently and in the future Um, November um, that year um, Dr Karen Margolius um, a detective called Joe Maripodi um, approached Pathwest and basically requested for them to take that hair away for a couple of days which they were granted by Alex Bagdonovicius who's been giving evidence again today um, they took the hair away um, it was recorded even though it was slightly mistakenly recorded on the wrong on a wrong sheet and a lock of the hair was um, taken from that hair mass was handed over to Perslow Funerals it's a f- prominent funeral company here in Perth who then prepared it and um, the hair was returned to Pathwest, and the lock of hair that was taken was given to um, the Glennons um, around about the 18th or 19th of November it would have been and, and as you said Kira's birthday was on the 20th um, purely again compassionate grounds the detectives had obviously built up a relationship um, with, with the families of the victims and and this was their way um, and, and Dr Margolis's way apparently of, of letting them have a little bit of Kira back. And I guess, yeah, the question is, you know, why is this important? Is it because this um, hair mass was removed from where it normally is stored? And went away for a little while. Um, This whole um, issue is quite bizarre in my mind of um, it's compassionate, yes, but uh, when we're talking about the hair in particular that's revealed... uh, the crucial fibres that they said came out of uh, the hair. Um, it seems now, sort of looking back at what they did, was was a very unusual, especially um, seeing this was a very high-profile case. It wasn't somebody like they... It was explained to me that sometimes family uh, like something of a deceased relative uh, where they cannot... Um, see the person or they've been found later on and they've been decomposed but to me this was the highest profile post-mortem done and even though back then they may not have realized the significance of of what could have been detected it it still seemed an unusual and then there are other aspects to it about how it was handled Mm. yeah well that i mean that's that's going to be the um the crucial question i suppose um as as i said it was documented by uh, mr bagdonovicius um so we know 
who took it out and we know when they took it out and we know when they came it came back but that for those two days um what happened to it during that process we haven't heard yet um and, and whether, whether we will or not because the continuity of the exhibits as we've said constantly is absolutely crucial any potential chance of any of these grey or blue fibres coming from somewhere else, getting into the hair and then being found much, much later um, is going to be a major issue in the trial um, in you know in the next six, eight weeks or so. Well, presumably Sergeant Maripodi, who took carriage of this bucket, mm. um, you would then think that he would need to take the stand so that he could describe, did he open the bucket or did he just hand it to the people at Perslow funerals oh, well, did that happen mm. who opened the bucket there mm. a lot yeah. more questions coming up soon and i should imagine once the defense start there'll be even more because there's a lot of questionable areas too i mean it's all very well i suppose looking at the standards that we have today to look back then but still there are a lot of flaws and just sloppy um paperwork that was done on again this very very high profile case it, yes they had hundreds of cases going through perhaps thousands but they knew that this was the most intensive uh, case in WA that they were looking at and asked to review and yet there were still little I mean listening to it from like the public gallery's point of view it's hard to decipher what they're talking about and we have our little cheat sheet so we know what you know a AJM is in 40 and 42 and how significant they are but back then and they would have realised the significance too they had dates that were missing labels there was one pink bucket where they didn't even have a label mm. which they relabeled later because they thought that's what it was and it was just so many questions which I should imagine the defence will be honing in on yeah and going back to Detective Maripodi he's actually been in court every day um, sat on the uh, the back row of the bar tables so he's been part of the police crew that have been helping assist the prosecutors um, and we will hear from him and uh, he might become witness 563 <laughs> or whatever it is because he's going to be the very last witness we found out today because he was one of the officers that on the, that week before Christmas in 2016 walked Bradley Robert Edwards out of his house into a police car drove him to um, Curtin House and then interviewed him for six and a half hours um, over a 12-hour period. And so it is through Detective Maripodi that that um, video of that interview will be played. Um, and, and when that day comes, I can guarantee that the courtroom will be as packed as it was on the first day because that, is, that will be the very first time that we've ever heard any explanation or direct evidence from, from the man who's accused of these murders. He's one of the few that's allowed to sit in on the court. Indeed, yes. So he was granted a, a, a usually a witness out of court order. So anyone who's going to give evidence will be will be told uh, you can't come in until we tell you to. But um, right at the start, Detective Maripodi was one of the few that was given exemption from that, and so he's been um, he's been sitting all the way through it. Have so that's been given very any? unusual. Um, given that he still has to give his mm. testimony. Yes, yes. 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 Um, but it was, I mean, it was explained that there are a few detectives that have worked so closely on this that to not have them in court might impact on, on the trial itself, r the running of the trial. Um, and uh, Detective Maripodi is, it w is obviously in that category. It wasn't objected to by the defence. They didn't have an issue with it. If they had, I'm sure they would have raised it, and it would have been, no, you can um, you can sit out in the hall with the re with the rest of the witnesses that are that are waiting to come in. 
and just explain how he is so important or these particular officers are so important to the prosecution case. Is it because they need to get back together and debrief each day or why mm. so? A, a little bit of that um, and a, and a little, little bit of um, they will know uh, because they've worked on the case so closely as the prosecutors have, they will know, for instance, what part of the prosecution brief um, such and such a document is in or such and such a photograph is in or such and such an exhibit. Um, and they're, they're providing that sort of, well, I hate to say it, but sort of secretarial assistance, if you like, but there's Research a lot, there's stuff, a, yeah. but there's a yeah. lot more on top mm. of that as well. The intimate knowledge of the, of the investigation, um, you know, if, 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 for instance, Detective Maripodi was there on the day the hairs come out in 1997 and he still sat there in 2020, then, you know, I mean, there's, there's nearly, you know, 25, more than 25 years worth of, of, um, um, intellectual property from the yeah. West Australian police to call on um, which you know the prosecution is entitled to have um, as, as well as Mr Edwards is entitled to have his defence team behind him yeah and the and big question is when because um, even Judge Hall was trying to get a, a bit of a timeline yeah. on when this could happen and she was mm. the prosecution was saying well towards the end of February yeah <laughs> maybe the so yeah, yeah DNA will go to the end of February then fibres and, uh, and on we roll Ali, you mentioned earlier that you thought, um, you know, it, it's quite bizarre what you said of sort of, you know, this sloppy procedural um, uh, ways that they were dealing things with things back then. But we've been talking about it was 20 years ago. So it's, you know, obviously things have tightened up and the way they do things is much different now. But do you still think that because this was so high profile, this was a third girl who'd gone missing that you would that have thought that they were really making sure everything was accurate but um and and they are under immense scrutiny that's all we've been listening to over the last um few days weeks is the running sheets the mm. the document i suppose anybody's work that came under such intensive scrutiny would find okay we got that day wrong we got that Thing right or whatever, but they but they are being highlighted, and of course for such a high profile case, to have things like today, um, when he said, "Oh no, I couldn't have had the t-shirt. I've got the t-shirt entered as in, but I couldn't have got it then. That was wrong." This is Kira Glennon's t-shirt we're talking about. Uh, just sort of clerical things like that um, are being highlighted, and they're the ones that have been. I, I guess brought out by the prosecution so that they're not a, sh a shock when the defence brings it out, mm. but. The, and the labels and that. It, it, I, and in fact, I think um, Paul Jovich kept saying to them, uh, you were under a lot of pressure. You're understaffed. Is that why this happened? Uh, but even to the fact that there were the delays that necessitated the police, I think, bringing in New Zealand and wanting the, them to have another look at the uh, crucial evidence, which, of course, the fingernail, which we're hearing about so often... Uh, the material under Kira Glennon's fingernail that was dismissed by Pathwest as debris, mm. and not no further analysing needed. Well, we heard that's and that's obviously what Mr. Um, Bogdanovicius yes. um, was talking about today. He was talking about how he selected the nails, and more importantly, the nails which weren't selected. Can mm. you talk to us about that? Yeah. So these uh, th these are the pots, the yellow top pots that we've we've talked about so much. And it emerged today that it was actually Mr. Bagdonovicius's job 
um, over the journey, um, starting um, sort of w- way back at the, at the start, w- and it was his job to basically look into these little pots and, and see what was in there, um, and then make a forensic decision as to, well, what, is that one worth sampling, and is that one worth sampling, and then he had the list, and he would place an asterisk next to the ones that he was suggesting were um, viable for analysis and remember we were talking late 90s then into the early 2000s you know light years ago in in terms of dna um, technology Um, and 40 which is the absolutely crucial crucial key one he labeled several times as debris only as alice just said um, and at one point today, he actually said it didn't look like there were any nail. It wasn't any nail in there at all. No. Now we have. Mm. Th- there's been one brief flash of this pot that has, has, um, as, uh, as evidence, a picture of it. But we haven't seen it in detail yet. We did see some of the other ones in detail today, because at one point, another scientist actually took these nails out or the nails that were in some of the pots out to actually take a photo of them to look at them examine them clo- more closely before they went off to New Zealand but at whatever at whatever point up to it would appear 2008 that anyone's looked in this little AJM40 pot that all they could see was just whatever they could see a tiny speck of dirt what what looked like debris whatever debris is could be could look like a speck of dust we don't know but he only did a visual didn't he well well, that's the thing yes and and that's crucial as well because he didn't actually open the pot so the prosecutor can keep saying that pot's never been opened until it gets to the uk and it's tested it's never been touched never been opened never been tweezed never been swabbed nothing's ever happened to it because for so many years um, scientists were saying, "Well, there's no point because because there's, there's there's not enough in there to test." But apparently, FSS thought different in the UK, and and here we are. But then again, too, uh, there seems to be an awful lot of handling of things because when they said that they sent the samples over to New Zealand, um, they sort of decanted. They poured one. He said he would put pour some samples into a smaller mm. pot to make it easier to be transported. Yeah. Well, and then they said, well, is there anything, was there any residue or anything left in the original mm. thing? And he said, well, I should imagine so. But that sort of just went Yeah. <laughs> so that, that this, this is Alice talking about when they took the nails out. Some of them went in New Zealand, actually were placed in tubes rather than the pots. And then, But the pots were left behind. And that's what we saw today, right at the end of today, was the bags that the empty pots were in. Um, which who were you know handled to be, to, yeah handled <laughs> but to be fair to Pathways they were recorded yeah. I mean you know any bloke on the street would think well you just chuck them away but no <laughs> there might be something in there so we'll keep them and label them and bag them and, and yeah. photograph them and, and again here we are 20 years later um, looking at pictures of empty pots on a, on a court screen so in 2003, when um, Pathwest was asked to carry out a review of the exhibits mm. concerning Kira Glennon, uh, something did show up on one of these nail tests. Yeah, now this this is intriguing. Um, so Mr. Bagdonovich has took it upon himself to go through all the um, previous uh, paperwork and make a list of everything that was there, everything they had, and everything that had been done to everything they had, and he made columns. Uh, what had ha- you know? Had that been DNA tested? Had that gone through the different types of DNA testing? And he ticked them off one by one. All the all the, all these um, you know fifty four or probably more than that um, exhibits that they had. But on a couple of them, um, also there's two things. On one of them, he labelled 
on AGM 42, he labelled that there was possible uh, male DNA on there. But um, previously, there hadn't been. They'd had no male DNA on it. Exactly. Yeah. So that something has happened in that over a span of about two years, from 2001 to 2003, to have that on a on a log or on a docket somewhere to say there might be male DNA on AGM 42. And it was the judge, again, super, super sharp Justice Hall, right at the end, um, brought this up with the prosecutor and says... Please explain. Uh, please explain, <laughs> to coin a phrase. Um, and uh, Miss Barbara Gallo said, yes, w- that's one of the things we want to do next week because the witness had gone by then because it was right at the end of the day. So there was, th- there was that. So, so we've got a little mystery mm. male DNA somewhere that has popped up in some test somewhere, apparently. So we'll get to that next week. Then it was also in evidence revealed that um, over that time span, even though Pathwest wasn't accredited to do this low copy number DNA testing that we've talked about, they did it anyway. Um, the way Mr. Bagdonovicius explained it was, it was just, it, it was very, the, the, the test itself was very similar to the ones we were doing already. It was just running a few more cycles. And maybe we'll get Brendan to explain a bit about that next week. But um, even though they weren't accredited to do it, they felt that they had the knowledge and expertise to be able to run the tests anyway, but it was made they made a note of any results we get, we can't use in court because they're not accredited, obviously. But we could, we can give them to um, detectives for investigative purposes. And so they ran a, f- a couple of LCN tests on 41, AGM 41 and 46, and uh, at least on AGM 46, they think they got a hit to possibly show there was male DNA on there again. Um, which is intriguing for a number of reasons. A, well, that, that's the detectives must have been rubbing their hands together and go, right, we've got something here. B, was it followed up? Um, we don't really know yet. That's the question. Yeah. And C, if we remember, 46 and 48 are two of the nails that were sent to the UK mm. and tested LCN in, a, in a, an accredited lab five years later and we didn't get a male DNA hit on, mm. on 46 at least because they were combined with 48 mm. so that really that little bit of evidence raised more questions than it answered yes. to this afternoon because um, and whether Mr Jovic will explore that particularly I think because he mentioned it in his opening about this non-accredited LCN testing they were running where, you know, was that ethical? Was it? Were they doing it properly? What do they think there was going to happen if they did get a, a big hit? I mean, you know, they, once again, they um, they were, as we've said, they were exploring every avenue, and um, uh, as one of the witnesses said earlier on, on in the week, the the um, the testing was getting more and more exotic. You know, they were getting they were really sort of pushing the boundaries um, because of the nature of this case and the pressure and every and the scrutiny and everything else. But you know, we'll. Yeah, it, whether, whether it will come to pass that they push the boundaries too far um, and that actually you know starts to impact on the on their probity we'll, we'll have to wait and see and I think um, also the several of the witnesses will be recalled they've left that opening mm. too to what we hear coming up in the next few weeks uh, or the Martin Blooms has hasn't been dismissed completely mm. and I think there's a there was some sort of acknowledgement to the defense that anything else that they can be open to, be recalled on any new stuff that we hear yeah mm. yeah and that's some of the witnesses that are coming up next week 
um, the evidence will overlap fibre and DNA. So um, he's trying to do a co- what they say continuity. So yes. they're getting a detective in here and that, yes. and he said, "Well, that's all very well, but." Um, I'd like to be able to cross And there's an added complication mm. as well because Mr. Jovic has only just got the report, the rebuttal report for his, to his fibre expert from the mm. prosecution. He needs to read that. He might not get time to read it in time to ask the questions he needs to on that part of the evidence to these witnesses next week. So he's. he's he, we could be seeing a reappearance of some yes, of the ones. Yes, yes, we could. We could get uh, episode two and three of some of the uh, some of the detectives. And long beyond next week. February. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, and it wouldn't be a bad thing because there are so many gaps that seem to be appearing that we'd like to have an answer to. I mean, mm-hmm. I find it very interesting that in two thousand and one there was a possible trace of a male DNA. Yet it's not till so many years later mm. that it goes off to that next step. Mm. And you would think that at that point you would be doing everything you can to pinpoint that particular result yeah well it's i think the advance in technology maybe that the uk and the fbi and others had that we didn't have and and it it, technology did jump amazingly so Mm. in those years from through the you forget what was around back then you can't even remember when you had that great big desktop computer as to what we've got now in our hand in the palm of our hands yes. we're holding it yeah, yeah. yes um, and mr bagdonovicius did raise a very interesting um technique that they used in the lab during this time yeah this this caused me to scratch my head a little bit as well so when they were doing um some of their testing he said they would only use um and the nature of this case he said we think or everyone thought we were looking for a man so some of the testing w- was was only done by a woman in the lab just in case there was contamination it would be very easy to um uh, remove that because it was a f- it would be female de- dna doing the contamination now on the one hand you could say well that's smart it's also presumptuous but th- exactly <laughs> but it's also <laughs> sort of expecting something to go wrong yeah. where you'd yeah. really hope mm. these guys at the top of their game would just um, expect everything to go right. So I, I suppose, you, I mean, there's an argument on both sides there, but it, it, it did raise my one of my eyebrows anyway, I've got to say. And we do know that we heard yesterday that there was this mm-hmm. mystery female, female DNA on some of these samples. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Like, um, we'll probably hear about that. Oh, I'm sure next week but also um again harking back to the fact that this was the highest profile case that they've been asked to review that uh, mr bagdonovicious didn't come in and actually t- he's got he got someone doing it he didn't oversee it he just came in the next day and initialed off that the work had been done mm. now as the case analyst or manager of this particular review you would have thought that he'd be looking over his shoulder at the on the day that this fairly crucial testing was being done mm. Yes, by um, a lady called Denise Galvin, who was will be one of the um, witnesses next week. And um, the contrast with Mr. Bloom's evidence earlier in the week, that yeah. struck me when he said, um, yes, I was the supervising scientist, he meant he was supervising. Exactly. He, he was yeah. watching and he watched and he ticked off and he was the one signing the forms. Whereas this particular test was done on a Friday. For whatever reason, Mr. Bagdonovicius was working on the Friday, came in on the Saturday to review the paperwork and then signed it off. So I don't I don't know whether that's gold standard um, forensic practice, but once again, um, Mr. Yovich will get his go on Monday. Um, and uh, yeah, that might be another point of uh, contention. As we mentioned, it just shows us how many hands 
these various samples pass through. Mm. Well, you just say, yeah, I'd want another pair of eyes on this while I'm doing this, mm. wouldn't you? I mean, it's done with everything else, and uh, it just didn't happen. But anyway, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So um, these uh, witnesses that you've mentioned, some of them already, they will definitely fill in some of those gaps, and we've seen that happen before, where we, we sit there wondering what this jigsaw meant and then we get the piece of the puzzle next week. Is there anything else um, that's coming along next week that you know of? Yeah, so um, it's going to get, I think it's going to get really interesting next week. So as I mentioned, Denise Galvin, who is another one of these pathway scientists, was she involved in any of these contamination events? We've got a guy called Scott Egan, who was another scientist at Pathwest. Now we know, um, you know some male DNA has turned up at various points where it, it sh shouldn't be. Um, was he involved in that? He's certainly involved in a lot of the testing over the journey, so he's going to have a, a big part to play. Um, and then we're going to get to some of the forensic police officers, um, a guy called George Patton, who was really intimately involved, a guy called Jim or James Stanbury, who was the head of Macro at, at one point, and he was the man who flew the fingernails over to FSS in the UK. So, I mean, his evidence is going to be absolutely crucial and fascinating. Um, uh, he would be the most senior Macro detective that we'd heard of, we've heard from during the trial as well. Um, and uh, this whole DNA portion, Miss um, uh, Barbara Gallo warned us, told us today is going to take up the rest of the month um, because the last witness from their point of view is Dr. Jonathan Whitaker, who was the overseeing scientist at FSS in the UK, who um, who was the one who made the phone call um, back to Perth to say we've got a hit, yes. um, we've got a male DNA match and or, or hit, and uh, we think you should run it through your database. It'll be very interesting to hear what he has to say. The has trial is still attracting quite a few people. Mm. I mean, you've got Dennis Glennon's in there every day. Uh, Bradley Robert Edwards' parents are in there every day, mm -hmm. sitting quietly. Um, and I, sh I looked today and it looked like there were they were students, medical students, coming in because they were taking notes down them. Well, they should be, because they probably won't see such an intensive scrutiny. Well, a bit of inside information. I think Brendan's been maybe guiding or instructing some of his students I'm to sure. maybe go and have a listen. Yes. Um, I think, I think a couple of them might have been there yesterday yeah. Um, yeah. because, oh well, if you want forensics in real life... Uh, in, under the microscope. Uh, under, <laughs> under, literally yeah. under the microscope, you can got no, get no better seen and stage than uh, this trial this and week. And we're all getting a, a, a great crash course in it as mm -hmm. well here. Yeah. Has there been any mention as to whether Laurie Webb will give evidence? Uh, oh, well, I've got a bit of a scoop. Um, I've been told he's not. I don't, I've been oh. told he's not going to give evidence well, in person. Oh. Um, there will be reports and some witness statements um, inserted into the trial next week. But um, but no, um, that's my information anyway. Um, I, I'm not sure as to why, and I'm not sure as the full reason will ever be um, made public. I'm, I'm not sure about that. But um, yeah, that's that's my information, which. Um, is is a very interesting development because he's so key to so much of the forensic uh, evidence um, from being at the the scientist overseeing the clipping of these fingernails right at the very start at the post-mortem to taking them to the UK and then getting the results back from FSS. So, yeah, um, it's it, what his reports will say will be interesting enough, but um, no, I don't think we're going to be hearing from him in, in person. Wow, Alice and I both um, are raising our eyes here because that's the first we've heard of that and that is um, would be a very surprising 
situation if he were not to give evidence given how critical he's been through the whole process? Mm, yes. Um, well, do you he's think not giving it could evidence have... for the uh, prosecution? What about the defence? No, I don't witnesses? think he's going to give any any <laughs> any evidence in person at all um, oh. because, I, uh, well, from my understanding, that it's um, that's been done by consent. Um, all both parties, both sides are aware of of uh, of that, and um, and and that's how it's going to play out apparently sometime next week. We're purely speculating here, but I, I wonder if it could have anything to do with um, the more recent years and, and the fact that he was sacked from his position there. Well, I mean, he was. I mean, there's no there's no avoiding that. Um, it was very public in Perth and a, quite a big story at the time and, and rumbled on for, for several months that he went after he was removed from his very senior position at Pathwest. Um, Specifically for shortcuts? Well, yes. So there was some overseeing um, what they call... Um, uh, you know, you had to double look at every, all the results. They had mm. to be signed off twice, um, and in, on on some cases there was there was a government inquiry into it actually, and um, the report came back that in some cases um, Mr. Webb hadn't done that. Um, but it must be said that the report also did say that um, the actual work that was done, there was no real issues with the work. It was just the signing off procedure, um, and as far as I'm aware, no, there's been no overturn of any criminal convictions on the back of, of, of those findings. But, I mean, what, what it did mean was, was Mr Webb did, um, did, was removed from his position, and, um, which was um, quite, a, quite a big deal, particularly for the, um, <clears throat> the man who's in Attorney General now in Western Australia. John Quigley made, um, made some very strong comments about it at the time, um, saying it was unprecedented and ha- um, had, had ripples throughout the justice system all the way through. So, yeah, well, um, he, he was at the centre of that, um, but um, um, from my information, he won't be at the, at the centre of this trial or as much as we thought he might be. Well, that's a very interesting development and a very interesting day in court today. Thank you both for your time. We'll see you again next week for week 10. And if you have any questions for our podcast team, send them to claremontpodcast at wanews.com.au. Have a good weekend. We'll be back next week. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog. Watch the nightly news updates and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.